This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Here we are, smack dab in the middle of your week, and I'm going to guarantee we're not going to mess it up, man. We're going to be that kind of little bit of ray of sunshine for the week, just 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 to help you get over the uh, Wednesday blues if you have them. If you don't, then you're already ahead, and we'll see what else we can do to make sure we maintain that on our program. Uh, on AMI-TV uh, at 2 p.m. Eastern, AMI-audio, folks, remember, we're at 4 p.m. Eastern uh, for the debut of the program. Ramya Muthan, my co-host, she's in Toronto on main Hello. campus at the studio there. Hey, Ram. Uh, last night. We had a great show yesterday, followed up by last night being Halloween night mm-hmm. and people out trick-or-treating and having lots of fun. I want to take you back, way, 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 way back to the times of where you might have gone out trick-or-treating or gone to Halloween functions, parties, whatever it might have been. Did you ever incorporate your disability in your costume? Mm-hmm. And the reason mm-hmm. I'm asking this mm-hmm. is simply because I read an item about Special costumes being made up, parents that do this, um, actual manufacturers out there that are making products to include, especially people in wheelchairs, different disabilities, and are really having a lot of fun doing that and 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 incorporating maybe the wheelchair for persons in a wheelchair, maybe not, just giving them that ability of something designed for them to be in costume, and of course, just like you or I, be as much a part of Halloween as possible. Oh, yeah. The inclusivity, also just the creativity around all this stuff um, and acknowledgement, right? I I don't know why, but I'd think back to Apple adding emojis of um, accessibility, uh, like vehicles and different tools onto their emoji catalog and thinking like, this is awesome because now it's part of the conversation. And I would like to say I have, but no, I definitely haven't. Instead, I've been in circumstances where a cab driver said, hey, is the the cane part of your costume or are you actually blind? And this was mostly because they couldn't find me or didn't know they were looking for me. And I was like, no, it's me. And yes, I'm blind, Uh, but it hasn't been part of the costume. Have you ever? No. I haven't. I've been in those moments where someone says, hey, that's a fancy pool cue. Like, are you playing pool? No, I'm just dressed up as a pool player. Okay. I've had that happen, you know, mm. where, where people have mistaken. But I can't think for the life of me a time when I've done that. And I think that's partly the, just like an actor kind of escaping as you do for Halloween and become somebody else. And this is a time where everyone can be someone else or something else. So I, I find that a really wonderful thought where someone, whether you wanted to use your disability, don't want to, whatever, but you be part of the conversation, the fun of, of Halloween. So mm. we have a little bit more Halloween stuff to get into a little later on. Just some pictures we didn't get to yesterday. We'll do that. And maybe later on, a closing moment that involves some of the things that you might be thinking about today, the day after Halloween. Let's take a look at what's coming up on the program. With the sad passing of actor Matthew Perry this weekend, Greg David talks about the TV show everyone knows him from. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking of starting a savings plan, where do you get started and how do you keep that good habit going? That's what we're talking about with financial advisor Ryan Chin. 
Derek Wood with Robert Half discusses today their latest research surrounding etiquette in the office. I'm looking forward to this one. We'll get into that conversation during hour two right here on Kelly and Ramya. The United States, like many other countries around the world, including us, has a food waste problem. A pair of recent reports from the Environmental Protection Agency show striking numbers on America's problem with food waste. One third of the food produced in the United States is never eaten, and 58% of planet warming methane emitted from U.S. landfills comes from decomposing food. Tackling food waste is a daunting challenge that the U.S. has taken on before. In 2015, the U.S. Department of Agriculture and the EPA set a goal of cutting food waste in half by 2030. But the country has made little progress. Some say that reducing food waste requires a big psychological change and lifestyle shift from individuals no matter what. Researchers say households are responsible for at least 40% of food waste in the U.S. I'm Lisa Dwyer. We've been scared. We've had this conversation, and it's kind of ironic that we're talking a lot about the food that doesn't even get eaten that ends up in the landfills creating methane because we always joke about cattle and humans and the methane created from eating foods and stuff like that. So we almost kind of can, okay, that's funny for a sheer moment when we think about waste, throwing it in there, creating not only that, adding to the the warming of the earth, but just overall rum, waste of food. Waste of food. And I like I think we can if we feel on any kind of discomfort or feel over challenged by this kind of thing. You know, we want to point to corporations. We want to point to restaurant waste and just like, you know, mass waste kind of uh, issues. Right. But when they say right at the end, there are 40 percent of it, which is just less than half is households. And it's our everyday habits, our everyday lifestyles, and our everyday buying more than we can use or lack of meal planning or whatever it is. These personal responsibilities and tweaks that we have to make, uh, it really gives us a lot to think about. Uh, it's a twofold problem, right? We're doing two things wrong. Wasting and where that waste goes becomes a, an additional problem to the uh, environment and the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It really makes me stop and think when we did our Climate Action Week on uh, Kelly and Company, uh, I think two years ago now, at least that. Yeah. And one of the things that one of our contributors that dropped into the show mentioned, if all of us could just do one or two things a day, mm. and we've heard this for a while, we're complaining about the price of food, and yet we're wasting it we're throwing it away. 40% of the households are doing this. And if we really took action and just did that little thing, eat it, folks. Don't waste it. Don't buy as much. We're already ahead of the game, as you pointed out with those numbers. Coming up next on the program, how can doctors destigmatize questions about substance abuse? Grant Hardy is going to delve into this subject when we return with him in two minutes on this particular subject. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. A little hard to get Grant and Beth into the studio regularly. Even harder to get uh, Kelly into the studio regularly. I mean, they're out west. I'm west of Toronto, so I have a little bit of an excuse. Ramya Muthan, she's at the studio in Toronto. I am at the home studio here in London, Ontario. And... The Ryman clan is over there. They're yeah. in the studio today, huh? The whole fam is here. The nice. Baby. Guys. Baby Austin. Who's Mommy Aaron. Player? And dad. 
Did you yes. hear that? The future hockey player. <laughs> Mommy Aaron always has to just kind of temper that with dad. Yeah. But uh, nice to have you guys here. Hopefully uh, enjoying. I mean, Austin should be doing what Ramya will be doing in about five minutes, probably dozing off asleep. Uh, Let's yeah. welcome from his, quote, home studio, unquote, Mr. Grant Hardy to talk headlines. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramya. I was thinking of the weight put upon this fellow's shoulders as he arrives from Vancouver to join us on the program. I mean, Grant, after all, you start our midweek show, and that's the day where people don't know if they're miserable or happy. Either way, not necessarily stuck in the middle. But you, sir, always bring to us some great things to talk about, even when they're dastardly serious. Yeah, do you know what? That's a good way to describe Wednesday, actually, is it's one of those days where you're like, do, are, are we happy? Are we tired? Are we miserable? Are we, do we have the energy to, you know, pull through today? It's just one of those weird days. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I almost want to call it when, persevering Wednesday, maybe. Oh, maybe that's like the day. It. Just because you just never know. Uh, sir, where yeah, are we starting just, today? Uh, so we're starting with an interesting report uh, from the Canadian press talking about some of the challenges with uh, enforcing new guidelines that really urge uh, doctors to ask patients about their alcohol use uh, because they note that it's more common alcohol abuse than a lot of the other diseases that uh, people do follow up on really well, such as like heart disease, diabetes, et cetera, and that early diagnosis is really key to preventing long-term health problems. However, asking patients how many drinks they've had is a question fraught with peril due to many reasons, including, quote, patients losing track of how much they drink, uh, not understanding what a typical serving constitutes, for example, a nine-ounce wine a glass of wine is quite a lot more than one, uh, one serving, and right. some simply lying. Um, but they do also point out that another interesting concern is just patients not wanting to be viewed as sort of an alcoholic or an alcohol abuser uh, because the question and the way that we look at it is sort of very binary. So they urge doctors to ask a little bit more open-ended questions such as how does alcohol fit into your life uh, and they also encourage medical staff to talk to patients in a conversational way ask for patients consent before asking screening questions to foster trust so essentially just reducing that sense of like binary thinking you either are or you're not and building up a little more trust and normalization at the same time. Thoughts? I, I wonder if some of that's brought on by our own, what we perceive as, oh, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be admitting to being a drinker because I shouldn't be a drinker. I know when I was in the, uh, having health issues and in the hospital at the end of 2019, they said to me, are you a casual drinker? And I said, well, what's that mean? Mm. Oh, 15 yeah, drinks, really? drinks a week. Mm. And I said, I said, 15 drinks a week? I said, I don't have that in like half a year. 
So <laughs> I, I gathered I didn't fall into the category, but it sort of shocked me. But what I'm now, as I'm listening to you, Grant, stopping and thinking, what was my first reaction? Yeah, 15 a week. I don't have 15 a year. Well, bully for you, Kelly. Like, it, it's, it is totally more so concerning, in my opinion, as you say here, my understanding, the lifestyle. Like, yeah. what does it do to your life? What does it mean? How sworn to you are those 15 drinks you may enjoy having them you may you know utilize them or have a, a particular i don't want to say need want whatever but we we all i think no but not everybody's just yeah i'm just going to have it or i'm just running around what whatever the reason is doesn't necessarily put a person why should someone be made to feel bad i guess is what i'm, I'm trying yeah. to say there may be a problem maybe something they have to address but let's talk about how come why what, what what's it used for and i think that's a far better conversation no, I think that's exactly it and exactly right. And it's the question of that accusatory, like, why are you asking me this? Or I'm afraid that my doctor is going to say, you are, yeah. you know, yeah. an alcoholic. That's user. too many. What's wrong yeah. with you? As opposed to just listen, like, you know, they're just to let you know, you know, there there are some risks that kind of scale in this sort of way as, you know, you kind of increase your 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 consumption, whatever. But it's kind of that idea that like un unbelievable patients would lie, but uh, it obviously would decrease the appropriateness of the care that you get. But it's just an example of how people don't like to be judged. Sorry, Ramya, mm -hmm. go ahead. Yeah, oh, and that's, that's right. what it is. It's really that judgment first um, approach, and I guess approach is too much of a generalization, but when we feel like if we're a client or a patient and going into uh, a doctor's office and as soon as a question is phrased a certain way or just that stigma around certain subject matters, being sexually active, too, right? being sexually active mm -hmm. or alcohol abuse or narcotics or smoking, mm -hmm. uh, diet, like just name whatever, you know, and it's your own lifestyle, but also just the way that things are painted and portrayed. If we already feel like we are supposed to feel guilty or we're doing too okay. much of something, Thing, or we're unaware of how we're abusing our bodies, our brains, or etc. We're not going to come in here vulnerable, right? Like, I'm not going to answer this question feeling like you have the best interest in mind for me because I already feel tisk tisked. And that, I think, you know, it's going to come up again when we talk with um, Greg David about Matthew Perry, oh. but uh, like just recently watching some of the videos and interviews that he's had in the past where people just bring up his drug abuse, but in ways where he's feeling cornered to have to answer something to somebody to make it seem like, uh, you know, he's no, out yeah. of control. You know, that's the, that's the way well, that things are being painted. biases come in too when answering something, or like you said, Grant, it's hard to believe, would someone lie? About that, well, I hope well, to tell defensive. you a lot of time we, yeah, and a lot of time they'll ask how many times you do this or how many, mm -hmm. and you you may undercut you feel like you the number knowing, know. yeah, you need to know what the right answer is, and if that isn't the response you have, then you're going to automatically be defensive, and I think yep. that's why conversations like this are very very difficult to navigate, and we need professionals to be trained in this aspect, right? Like we talk about this with disability also. Um, the way that people tell us news, tell us about our disability or illnesses or just any kind of diagnoses, and I think 
isn't there a nicer way or a better way, more sensitive way you could bring that up to somebody yeah. and well, lead them and, to and feel even supported? And the honesty of ourselves about our vision, what can you see, what can't you, or shouldn't you be wearing glasses, or, or there's a, oh, you know, there's times that I know I have felt judge because I may not have been aware of something, or I don't want to face that, yeah, my vision's getting worse as as, as time goes on, but that's what my condition's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But I remember very much as a teenager into my 20s, you know, not wanting and, well, how often do you wear your glasses, Kelly? Oh, oh, oh a bit every day. Exactly, exactly. Really? You hey, know, that's because you feel guilty. Point. Yeah, yeah, to a point. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, definitely interesting. When I was looking over the the show for today, and it's kind of, kind of an interesting segue, but I totally also think there's there's a part of this around uh, like fear of you know uh, fear of thinking like you know you have some sort of a problem with whatever it is you are like out of control and you need to tackle this before you do anything else kind of in your life. Mm. Uh, and I just think that like, you know, life is not necessarily that linear where you just sort of tackle, focus on one thing. It's more, a, a, hopefully a long-term self-improvement in all aspects and multiple aspects of your life at yeah. the same time. So definitely and, and interesting. And the biases we have get us into trouble, too, because, we, you know, that's where your guilt comes from, you know. And when you're asked the question, you may or may not be so truthful because, in your mind, I believe I shouldn't be this way or that way or in this position. And you yes. may kind of, I don't want to hear that from someone else. I already know. It's hard. <laughs> sure that. Uh, Kelly, not sure how much time we have left, but you uh, sent me uh, this really fascinating article. Uh, it's American-based, and it's uh, about a program in the U.S. to encourage more Black and other minority do uh, doctors to be to get involved in the transplant field, including the uh, witnessing uh, organ donations and just also building up the trust of patients and donors as well this was really interesting uh because uh it, it turns out that for example uh even put on the transplant list uh uh black uh people i believe if i'm reading this right sorry trying to get through this quickly uh, are less likely to receive organ donations than white patients especially from living donors and there's also this lack of trust an understandable lack of trust because of horrible abuses that happened in the past uh, but now there's this trust this lack of trust where for example people are saying uh you know i don't want to check this box to be an organ donor because i think that it's going to sort of affect the care that i receive while i'm alive because you know oh, wow. people will sort of think like i have this asset these organs that i can donate uh so i th thought that basically the in order to encourage as many organs to be available as possible including potentially you know kidneys or what have you from live donors which are always the best uh, they really are just trying to give people hands-on experience and build up the trust that like hopefully we can put those sort of abuses not not for, forget the past of course but just acknowledge that like in the, in this day and age you will receive 
the same level of healthcare, even if you're an or organ donor. So, you know, let's encourage people to kind of rebuild that trust in the medical field. Really nice. Yeah, really nice and really important because it's so amazing what those organs can do, how many people can be helped if you're a donator, if you're receiving something. And I, I think it's also nice, Grant, in there too, the idea of a persons with that are minorities being in the health field and that trust that people here may have to have. We always get Absolutely. so bothered over people coming from other countries and ending up uh, doctors, surgeons, ending up driving taxis, not to take from the taxi profession, folks, but these are people who spent many years where they come from in school, just like you know, our doctors and, and, and that here, but they're, we're not comfortable. We make them jump through hoops, whatever the reasons mm -hmm. are, um, and, and make it hard for them to function here, Ramya. Yeah, it, I think that there's lots to still be, dis, not discussed necessarily, but discovered around our own interests and uh, knowledge and patience and just how normalized these conversations are about organ donating. I think the access, at least in Ontario, has gone much better with it, you know, just being click a checkbox kind of thing, right? But uh, it's not, that doesn't mean that it's the conversations we're having in our homes. Yeah, it's yeah. it's so fascinating i always used to like why doesn't everyone just check that that box right. why can't it be opt out i i kind of understand now because of the things that have happened in the past but hopefully we can just oh, yeah. put that as you know rebuild that trust like like i said i don't want to say put it aside but hopefully regain that trust in the, the medical profession well and, and you know the one thing that you say, that's hard to believe you'd actually think that someone would look and say, hey, man, if this fella slips away, we can use his kidney, you know, uh, or is on the way. But there are a lot of people that built up those kinds of concerns when we heard about choices being made during the pandemic. And, you know, with the with the hospitals being flooded and everything like that, what order were you going to put people's care in? Grant, thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks, guys. Grant Hardy joins us on Mondays and Wednesdays to skip through headlines with us on the program. Up next, with the sad passing of uh, actor Matthew Perry, uh, we're going to hear about Greg David's thoughts and get into a conversation with him about the show Matthew is most known for, Friends. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Rumya return with more in a moment. want to remind you about AMI Plus, ladies and gentlemen. The new AMI platform features a slick, modern look and puts AMI original, award-winning content at the forefront. AMI is fully compatible with assistive technology, including screen readers and magnifiers, and Windows, Apple's, uh, and uh, platforms, and so many of our devices that are out there, folks. So check it out. That's amiplus.ca. And... Uh, how you like it they want the feedback too so give it to them more than they can handle just handle it hand it because we want it to be a perfect site where you go to to get all your content from ami kelly mcdonald here with Ramya muthan let's talk tv this is with our friend greg david he's our ami communication specialist bring him on I'm Greg David, and I love TV. Join me on Kelly and Ramya, where we talk about the biggest hits, misses, and trends in television and entertainment. If people want to check out uh, our review of Holly by Stephen King, that's from yesterday's podcast, our book 
club review at the end of the month on Kelly and Ramia. That was with Greg also. But Greg, today you're back because we want to talk about um, friends. It's around the sad passing of Matthew Perry. He died this weekend or last Saturday. Saturday? I think it was Saturday. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and everybody knows him as Chandler from Friends, and we want to talk about the history of Friends and everything around that uh, through this conversation. But first, let's talk about the actual passing of Matthew Perry. How did you feel? What did you go through when you learned about his passing? Were you a fan? Yeah, I was a fan. I, I've been watching Friends since the very beginning it was when it was originally on broadcast television. So obviously knew about him. The fact that he's Canadian uh, was always a point of pride for me. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm 50, I, I'm 52. So he's only he was only two years older than me. So the deaths of these Hollywood stars really is starting to hit me hard, especially when they're a few years around me. I mean, obviously, it's it's been well known. Matthew Perry spoke about all the troubles that he's had in the past um, regarding addiction and in the toll that it took on his body um, but still you know when somebody like this that, that his performances on friends and other projects kind of moved transcended kind of generations right because mm -hmm. Ramya you're a, you're a huge uh, fan of friends so when it transcends generations like that everybody really feels it and did you watch him on other projects Greg uh, yeah, so it was Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, that was the show that came out after Friends ended. So that was a dramatic role for him. And I really, really liked it. It unfortunately was, uh, it was canceled, I think, too soon. Aaron Sorkin was the creator of that show, and, and it quickly got into trouble with scripts running behind. Uh, it wasn't as well rated as another show that came out at that same time, which was 30 Rock, the sitcom. Right. Right. So you've got a sitcom about, uh, about a program, and then you've got Studio 60. So, uh, yeah, I liked it. I'd seen him in uh, in other projects as well so yeah but i mean friends is you know what everybody knew him from mm -hmm. now Kelly, uh, rami i wanted to ask you because you've read his memoir so yes. um what were your thoughts before we start talking about friends what were your thoughts about the memoir because I, I myself haven't read it and kelly i, I don't think you have either so no good. i'm also curious about the canadian angle because we, that's one thing about him that as much as I'm not a, a, a wasn't a friend a, show, a fan of Friends, certainly familiar mm -hmm. enough with the program, mm -hmm. but really was just always and always have been proud of our Canadians when they get out there and you see them yep. having success and definitely what a talent. Well, he has this bit right where um, he talks about Justin Trudeau uh, egging him on to have a right. fighting match or whatever, a punching match, yeah. and, yes. and that came up in the book also. He was he really talked about Canada, like he shouted out Canada and growing up in Ottawa uh, here, and then having to move around because of trying to find gigs and being a comedian. But mm. I loved his memoir. It's called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. I believe that's what it's called, and. Yes. Um, he was just so candid. Honestly, it was so refreshing. He's an incredible writer. I did not expect that. I didn't realize how much writing he'd done uh, through his shows or how much of like that, you know, let me just try something out um, kind of attitude with his comedy on Friends and otherwise. But he was, his memoir was just, it flew off the page. And uh, he's so funny, lots of laugh out loud moments. And he was absolutely candid about all the things that we knew about him, about what we didn't know, um, his struggle with not just narcotics and substance abuse, but with loneliness, with uh, attaining and retaining relationships, mm. just everything, everything. And it, it, there was so much um, candor, there was so much vulnerability. Uh, he led us into, like, educationally led us into things like addiction uh, and other medical situations that he's went through. I honestly can go on and on because it was so brilliantly written. If you're a fan of Matthew Perry or if you feel any kind of, you know, 
feel stabbed in some way from his loss, I would say pick up his memoir because it's it's oh, so. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah, a great recommendation. Yeah. I'm going to add that to uh, my Christmas list, Santa. Mm-hmm. If you're listening. Okay, Santa. Um, so here's the question: <laughs> Did he do that fight thing? No, this was a weird thing that was going on when I mean, Justin Trudeau was at AMI and we did this interview several years back with him before he became prime minister. I remember him talking about doing this stuff and there were so many celebrities and it's interesting you mentioned that. And I wondered, oh, did he end up doing one of those? Because there was definitely this challenge. Yeah, and, and Trudeau it's just like got this cute that. thing that they That's got wild. into. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, his, he had quite an involvement apparently with a lot of the uh, politic uh, politicians. Oh, yeah. um, you want to talk about friends? You too. Uh, how did the show greg come about in the first place yeah so for those that don't know that you're watching it on streaming services uh friends debuted on thursday september the 22nd 1994 and ran for 10 seasons that's 234 episodes and it ended its run on may the 6th 2004 and some interesting history on the show because the co-creators david crane and marta kaufman they had started developing uh three new tv pilots uh that were uh going to hopefully premiere in 1994 they had both previously worked on a show called family album that was on cbs in 1993 and so they were kicking around these ideas and one of them was about they wanted decided to pitch this series about six people in their 20s making their way in manhattan and they took that pitch to nbc because they thought that that would be the the uh, the best fit um we've spoken about thursday night must see tv on nbc so it makes sense that coffin and crane would do that and uh, when they presented the idea to their production partner kevin bright uh, he was on board. He'd served as an executive producer uh, on a project the three of them had worked on called Dream On that was on HBO. Uh, so anyway, um, Crane and Kaufman started thinking about the time when they finished college and started living by themselves in New York City. And the the title that they originally came up came up with was insomnia cafe it wasn't called friends it was called insomnia (laughs) cafe and they pitched it as a seven-page treatment to nbc in 1993 and that was when warren littlefield who was then the president of nbc uh he was on board because he was seeking a comedy at that time involving young people living together um and so they said we love it and they immediately ordered a pilot and uh, took three days for Kaufman and Crane to write the pilot script for the show. That the instead of uh, Insomnia Cafe, they evolved the title into Friends Like Us. Mm-hmm. And NBC liked the script and ordered the series. And they changed the title to Six of One, uh, mainly wow. because that they wow. felt like friend. Yeah, and mainly because they felt Friends Like Us was too similar to the ABC sitcom These Friends of Mine, uh, which was on the air at that time. So I always love those stories about how the idea. The ideas came about and then like best of all the titles because you think would we have been sitting around no. talking about a show that was called insomnia cafe not at all oh my god or the <laughs> uh greg i do got to say it very interesting little side note you were you brought up again the thursday night power mm-hmm. we know also that last week richard mall passed away yes. on thursday and uh from from of course uh night court um mm-hmm. and just such a strange thing since those were the big powerhouse shows on the Thursday night. Yeah, yep, absolutely. I uh want to talk about the casting. So how was the cast yes. chosen? There's a story, there're all these stories, but uh like even Lisa Kudrow has her own story, but Jennifer Aniston has one about not originally being Rachel. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, once this uh, the, the, was announced to kind of the Hollywood um, actors and actresses that this show was going to be a go on NBC, um, Warren Littlefield said that he got calls from every agent in town because they wanted their clients to be part of the show. The casting director for Friends shortlisted 1,000 actors who had applied for each role each role uh and so they whittled that down to 75 um uh marta kaufman uh the the executive producers had worked with david schwimmer in the past so they uh wrote the character of ross with him in mind and he was the very first actor cast and funnily enough he was viewed as the star of the show so it became very much an ensemble but in the very beginning the idea was that it was going to be based around david schwimmer's character more so than the others something to anchor from jeez yeah yeah (laughs) And uh, Courtney Cox wanted to play the role of Monica because she liked the strong characters. But the producers had her in mind to play Rachel because of her cheery, upbeat energy. Um, That was not how they envisioned Monica. So they decided that they wanted Courtney Cox to to play Rachel. But after she auditioned for the role, they agreed with Courtney Cox and she got the role Mm. of, of Monica. Um, Matt LeBlanc's character was kind of like a, a cookie cutter kind of dumb guy type of character, um, but he came in and played it kind of differently, which they really, really uh, liked. And um, the executive, the network actually told the show creators that they wanted Matt LeBlanc in that role, even though they weren't sure whether they were going to whether they they liked him in the role or not. The network pushed them to cast him, so that oh. was how that happened. And Jennifer Aniston, Matthew Perry, and Lisa Kudrow were all cast based on their auditions. So really, really interesting stories on all six of them and how they ended up being mm-hmm. on Friends. I remember trying to watch it. This is this is the thing about it. I can I can handle an episode. I certainly can sit there and laugh. Never could get so in it. I remember being a Days of Our Lives fan and finding yeah. out that the uh, John John uh, Aniston's daughter was was in yes. that show. So I thought, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I, I better give some support and check that out because they also started to fold that in yes, in its own different. way within to the program. So really cool. Yeah. Everyone seems yeah, he to ended have up- that. Sorry, go ahead. Go. I was just going to say he ended up being on the show as a guest star. But the biggest thing that Jennifer Aniston had been in uh, before Friends was a horror movie called Leprechaun. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Whoa, yeah. so total different. Uh, everyone yeah. seems to have a favorite episode. What was yours, Greg? Oh, wow. Okay, so my favorite one is the one with the prom video uh, because Friends managed to keep Rachel and Ross apart for the entire first season before they finally uh, became a couple in season two. Uh, but after only one episode, they they uh, they they broke up uh, until Rachel saw an old video of her prom night revealing just how much Ross had always been there for her uh, because Chip, her, Rachel's original date, hadn't shown up. And so Ross, at the suggestion of his parents, put on his dad's tux to step up and take Rachel to the prom, only to come downstairs and find out that she'd gone off with her intended date after all. And, uh, <laughs> you know, they had all watched this video, and Ross was really embarrassed about it being shown again. Um, but at the end of the watching the old videotape, Rachel immediately went over to Ross and, and kissed him. And Aww. it gives me chills. It gives me chills talking about it still, because I'll remember Phoebe saying, um, you know, she's uh, he's her he's lobster. lobster. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I, yeah, that was, that was my favorite. Uh, Rami, did you have a favorite episode? I don't have a favorite episode. I love okay. the, I think the Thanksgiving one where Joey's I head got stuck in say, the door. That's <laughs> what I kind of like. I like that one. That's the one I love Chandler for because he was like, my cranberries. Yeah, I like right, that and- one. Yeah. <laughs> I like that one, and when he gets shot down working on Days of Our Lives with the actress that that, that he's all, like, so gun ho on. That one kills <laughs> yeah. me, too. That's funny. Oh, God. The show did not age well, but there were so many good moments. 
Greg, uh, it's available for streaming on Crave in Canada, yep. right? Anything else you want yep. to say about that? Yeah, uh, I, I watched the pilot episode after Matthew Perry passed away. I, on Sunday, I tuned into Crave and I watched the pilot episode of the show, and uh, it still holds up. I mean, obviously, the jokes, some of the jokes and cultural references might not be, you know, uh, politically correct anymore, but you can see the heart there. You can see those characters even starting to grow and, you know, uh, the evolution of what they'll be uh, as the seasons go on. And I mean, the cultural impact. I mean, there was the Rachel haircut because of Jennifer Aniston's hairstyle. How you doing? You know, Joey's catchphrase. Um, and I was looking into this, and there are actually some studies where people that wanted to learn English uh, watched Friends and learned English yes. from watching that show. So you can't get any more influential than that. They haven't helped them. <laughs> How you doing? Yeah. It's true, though. It did huge in places like India where people were just absolutely... Uh, around the Friends reunion, you were starting to hear just everybody's influences from Friends or Friends' influences. People want to be want to be connected like that with people. Mm -hmm. They just love the cajoling, the cross the hallway thing. It's just so for people. I think comforting, and that's what Thursday night was, Greg. Comforting oh, yeah. to you, family. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome, Greg. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Greg David, our communications specialist here at AMI, he joins us every other week to talk television. Today we were going over friends after the passing of the late Matthew Perry. On the other side of the break, the White House and Google have launched a new virtual tour with audio captions. The Shack, he's here in a moment to kick off his editions of The Buzz for this week. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back to the program as we work our way through your week. It's Wednesday edition. We're here at live at 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV. At 4 p.m. Eastern, we appear for the first time on AMI-audio. We've moved over there, so we start the show at 4 p.m. Eastern. I've had some people tell me, great time for them to check out the show via AMI-audio. So awesome, especially if you're new and finding us over there at that time. Maybe it's more convenient for you. Repeats of the show on AMI-TV and audio, 10 p.m. Eastern, AMI-audio, 6 a.m. in the morning. And on AMI-TV overnight, stuck right in the middle of the night at 1 a.m. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan, and we welcome in from his studio in the GTA, Mr. Bill Shackleton. Hi, Bill. How are you today? Doing really good. Awesome, pal. Nice to have you back as we get into the buzz for another week here on the program. We settle back and Bill brings us some items to talk about. We don't necessarily know where he's going to go, but uh, shall we begin? Um. Well, the White House and Google launch a new virtual tour with audio captions and Spanish translation. Not a new idea. Um, but it's a first for the White House. So basically, um, Google Arts and Google Maps um, have launched a tour, which you can get to, actually. And basically, uh, it is a tour of the... It's as if you were there. Um, it And there is... When you get there with a the screen reader, which I actually did... You can mm. go to the White House website and click on the tour, and there's buttons for each room. And basically what you do is click on the player buttons, and there's a description of each room. And one of, and it's, you know, the first, <clears throat> the first button is a welcome message from the, the president and first lady. 
kind of it's the first tour with audio captions uh, description for the White House, so that they've done. Um, as hmm. I say, not a new idea, but I kind of like the um, more more people should be doing this type of thing. Yeah, especially funny when you think about government. I mean, we, yeah, we've had I this know, talk that's with it. Donna Jod had before about the governments out there being so hey. Be accessible. Here are your dates in which you have to be accessible. This is for everybody. Well, excluding us. And it's yeah, kind of funny how this seems to be the trend, guys. Yeah, it's yeah, a trend. Uh, Go ahead, Billy. No, I'm going to say um, the um, the first lady um, has said she wants to make the White House, quote, as accessible as possible for everybody. Yeah, and somebody's got to do it. Yeah, well, the president said, of course, being a former college teacher, um, he hopes people can use this as an example of what, what they can do. So, yeah, I kind of like the idea. Well, especially a place older like, like that. Like the white, yeah, right? that's right. You know, you have your different areas, but you allow public to come there. And just like any other public or federal federal building, it, it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be as accessible as possible. And and again, I, you know, we we know, we always say that's kind of loose, but we we have a good idea of what accessibility is, what should be um, to... to support the largest number of, of disabled persons. So mm. good for them for giving it a kick. I mean, this one, um, we have uh, the president and the first lady yeah, that's being right. part of the introduction, right? So yeah. I wonder, like, I mean, first of all, you can do this kind of thing in multiple ways. You don't have to go to this particular feature um, or release for you to get the education around the White House, the history, no. et cetera, et cetera. But I wonder how they're going to draw people in, aside from this partnership with Google, which means it's just massively more available, more accessible. Uh, is it also going to be used through educational institutions and through school that people are going to come to this, uh, teachers are going to use this as a tool during, I don't know, history class or whatever, right? Even other things. But oh, I yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's what the purpose of it is. Right, it yeah. should be. Like, it shouldn't just yeah. be, hey, here's another virtual tour, because then it's just, it's in the archive with all these other virtual tours that we can take part in. And people do it professionally. There's amateur things to just available everywhere on YouTube or whoever, however you want to check it out. Um, but the other thing is, too, I wonder how people will respond. And maybe this is just uh, too far of a reach, but I wonder how people will respond if the affiliation starts to feel political like non-supporters of mm -hmm, joe biden mm -hmm. and the first lady are yeah. they going to be turned off by the, the republicans the, are they going to yes, use that yes is if it, you're a republican a or a democrat is that going to affect you going to this of, quote official tour or are they going to update it every time there's a new president or a new term or a new uh, turmoil <laughs> because it's the u.s <laughs> uh you know like i'm curious about these things as well I, I, yeah, I have, no I have idea. to I have believe no that there's so many young people that go there on tours one reason or another that this is this is the tip of the let's be accessible. And again, I don't think I ever thought about it because I thought out of all places that you must be able to at least have some wheelchair ramps, some accessibility, some braille on door, whatever it might be that we consider, okay, well, you're starting out. I always thought, well, the White House, of course, would have it. They have so mm -hmm. many people come through on those tours, at least that part of the, the the White House would be like that's just like you know here uh, you know at Parliament Hill if you go in there I have no idea I've never really noticed I've never really spent much time even at Parliament Hill to say hey yeah um, but when you hear the conversation I was like oh really this is 
you want to do that it's not already done but again i want to not want to throw my hands in the air it's not been done I, i'm just glad that they're talking about it and getting some press but it helps when you have google on board too yes um, and i do i hope it's updated because the new president is going to they're going to have to update it anyway because he's going to have to another speech right to welcome everybody so well, if Trump gets in, he'll just undo things. That's what he yeah, yeah, the whole tour is going yeah. down the drain. Get this braille out of here. Rip it off. Get yep, rid of that. I don't like here. it. You know, pull it yeah. out. And uh, what do you want to go now, Bill? Montreal restaurants adapt to rising costs, but warn customers might be priced out. Oh, we are. You just yeah, even we're getting into are. it. We know. Mm -hmm. We already are. Well, as Montreal restaurants adapt to rising costs. And impending deadlines um, to repay loans um, issued during the pandemic, one well-known chef says she warns about the future of the city's famed dining scene. Um, and and this is and I mean, and I know that this isn't. We talked about this before, in uh, perhaps in other cities. But Montreal is a little different, isn't it? The French, um, it isn't just, eating is not just eating. It's part of their culture. And there are, it's the independent restaurants that she's concerned about. I mean, they've lost um, over 400 restaurants during the, um, during the pandemic. Yeah, and, because those smaller places yeah, are yeah, part right. of the tourism of Montreal. They are, it is. It Very is. much. It, it what's it's what makes Montreal what it is. You go to a hey, I found this restaurant. It's fantastic. It's not a fast food. It's not um, you know. It's 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 just a restaurant which is extremely good. Rum, you were there uh, relatively recently. Your thoughts? Yeah. Like, is this important to you when you were? Other than sports, is delicatessen? <laughs> I didn't Ooh, even I love visit sports. Uh, don't bring it up. Uh, okay. Um, well. Is what important to me that they're kind of understanding that it's rough, but they have to do what they no, have to looking, do. Looking as a tourist, there. I mean, we <laughs> we got to eat when you're somewhere, but does is that one of the appealing things is, to you? It, that it's we're just talking not about? unique, right? Like this is not a unique problem. I think that that's what I'm kind of because we're coming from it, it from Toronto. Like Toronto, everywhere is expensive. You go out to yeah, eat, or you Uber Eats, or you do whatever. You get something delivered, uh, or you go out. You're spending so much money. Like, what are you spending on average? Like fifty bucks nowadays a person. Like, yep. it's not. But, but here, I think it's the loss of four hundred restaurants, and yeah, I'm sure we no, can say right. everywhere has done that because London's lost. Exactly. Yeah. Has, but I think it's it's kind of like saying in Toronto losing oh i don't know what's what's toronto what would we say toronto is if we lost the science center or something like that mm. like places like oh it's so uh, much I, you know yeah it's an exacerbated problem over there because of their baseline right the baseline before was uh, the cheaper rent was uh, a different place that they yeah. started with so that is quite unfortunate but i'm talking particularly like specifically from a consumer point of view it doesn't feel any different to me maybe locals like people who live in montreal who go out to eat they're feeling it but if i'm coming from toronto and my budget is already up there for uh eating out because that's the way it is here i don't feel mm. uniquely but affected. i think it's choice in montreal it's you tourists coming and settling for mcdonald's or whatever because there's no more of these small places billy was referring to so go ahead mm. bill sorry i cut you off no i if if i if i went to montreal i would definitely feel 
the the impact of this. I mean, I want to because eat of the lack of places to choose now, from. Yeah. Okay. And specialty yeah, I, places like they're they're yeah, small. They're small. You know, they're they're what make Montreal unique. Is is I guess is. they Billy what the item is saying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, um, I guess yes. Like it feels like there's a stark uh, drop in what's available because of how much is closed. But I I still think if your budget is up there, this is may not even be in your awareness of what's available, what's not available. You're yeah. just you're just going out there thinking, okay, if yeah, you're it's going to be expensive to eat. If you're going for time, I don't think you're aware of it. I think mm -hmm. if you're a return visitor who likes to come oh, there, yeah, if this you're familiar is one of the with things the place, that you do. Yeah, like uh, this is one of the things that you do. You figure, hey, out of all places yeah. to go to, food is good in Montreal, the diversity of it, and you, you recognize it. But no, definitely, it, that's what I meant. To, is that the kind of thing, knowing we got to eat, uh, you know, but a lot of people will say, yeah, I got to eat, but I'm not going to go pay money at these expenses no, at any given time. Yeah. Whether there's 500 restaurants but won't you? or two. Exactly. And that's you what know? I was going to say. Like Toronto, Montreal is a pretty big, pretty populated, diverse city for food. So you, yeah. uh, I wonder if 400 restaurants, though that in itself is a huge number, 400 restaurants closing, in the larger picture of and ratio of things, you know, is there really not much left? In Montreal, because it, it that's shows you closing. how I have no clue of or concept. Four hundred to me sounds like Montreal had that many restaurants. Like it, to uh, me, it's just phenomenal to think of anywhere. Me, I think and that's just the way in my Toronto head thinks, right? Is is well, a I, small number. Yeah, but see, and I don't think about. I've never really thought about the numbers of 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 restaurants that yeah. way. In my head, four hundred—that's a lot of choice, right? And and when I say that, I don't mean all the twelve hundred Tim Hortons that every city has mm -hmm. or whatever. Uh, I mean, you know, just thinking of eateries, Billy. I never really think. I think, holy God, when I heard the number, how many restaurants yeah, we lost like, through the pandemic, it blew my mind. Yeah, just count. Try to count to four hundred, and it's like, my God, that's an awful lot of independent restaurants yep. that have gone busted, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. it's an incredible amount. Uh, Billy, we only got a couple of minutes left, so we probably want to hold oh, on. Sorry, wait, to one second. Before you go there, right now I just quickly Google search how many restaurants are there in Toronto. I don't know, but independently owned or not, but we have 7,500 restaurants. Oh, my. Oh. There you go, so That's Billy. what I mean. So 400 is like, okay, it's like a sliver off, right? Well, I don't know. I, 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 don't know I wouldn't say that. that because the people who have lost. I, oh, no, so no. I, yeah, I don't the, mean that to yeah. mean in a demeaning but, way. I just mean for choice and you're walking around downtown. You're not going to notice that 400 restaurants out of 7,500 have disappeared. I don't know. It's so hard because of where where you go. Chains, like chains, take up so much of it with their multiple locations and people want, they don't want that. I want something different than, you know, Harvey's or, or when, whatever it might be. Not Again, not to pick on the fast food folks uh, or the pizza places, but, and they're, they're being lost too. There are a lot of independent pizza places that, that are being lost and stuff like that. But wow, it's yeah. phenomenal. But it's just not a number in my head that I've stopped. I just think, oh, there's tons of restaurants. Well, wow, when do you think 400? Mm. Thanks, Bill. Sorry, couldn't get Thanks. to that third thing. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get, get to, to Donner Sutherland at some point. Yep. Another important Canadian, eh, Billy? Yo, Bill yeah. brings us all sorts of great items to talk about on the program. We do this Wednesday through Friday. We call the segment The Buzz. Join us tomorrow when he returns to the program at this time. In the next hour, though, we've still got one to go, folks. Derek Woodward of uh, Robert Half discusses their latest research surrounding etiquette in the office. 
And when thinking of starting a savings plan, where does someone get started? Well, you know, financial planner Ryan Chin, he'll be here. He'll let us know. Up next, though, a group of youth recently traveled to an international science uh, exhibition in Mexico. Toronto student Sterling Wong joins us to tell us more after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya. Kelly McDonald here, Ramya Muthan, and she is at the studio in Toronto. Kelly here at the studio in London, Ontario. Got some pictures left over from yesterday's Halloween extravaganza. If you missed it, do please check it out via podcast by simply subscribing. Let's start with our first one that we didn't get a chance to get to. Kim Thistle, our community reporter, is dressed as a cowboy girl. She's wearing a plaid shirt, straw hat, she has a black drawn-on mustache and dots on her face to represent being unshaven. Brock Richardson in our next one here is dressed as a purple crayon. Nice. Wow. <laughs> Get Brock to scribble things in for you. And our final one, gang, is the KNR crew in the control room and a few others added to boot. Starting from the right, we have uh, Jordan as a sophisticated cat, mm. Megan as a cowgirl, Jacob, he's wearing that uh, stylish fez. And, oh, this one, uh, you may remember her. Uh, oh, what's her name? Ramya Muthan. Uh, and she says Corella, as she wore on the program yesterday. Caitlin, green fog, fo fog, frog. And Irene, with little devil horns. And, of course, Glasgow. He snuck himself into the picture, too. <laughs> oh, oh. Real important Toronto Raptor here, Eliza, as uh, Kyle Lowry folks over there as well. Guys, thank you very some much. I was kind of wondering when we would get that picture in there. Yeah, and some intruders too sliding in there. Jacob, <clears throat> Ramya. Anyway, <laughs> folks, let me hand things over to Ramya because we've got another special guest to join us. Yeah, that's right. Halloween was a lot of fun, but let's talk some serious science and STEM. Uh, we're talking about Canada's STEM space with a focus on youth and education. So there was a group of 31 Canadian students, all previous Canada-wide science fair finalists, who recently traveled to the Milset Expo, Sciences International, and this was in Mexico. So the reason why they were there was to showcase their passion uh, for science, their part of Youth Science Canada as well. So we're really excited now to talk to one of the Toronto students who got a chance to go to this, Sterling Huang. Sterling, thank you for coming on uh, Kelly and Romia. Yeah, thank you for having me. We're really excited to talk to you about this particularly, but before that, tell us about your passion uh, for science, for STEM, your involvement in all this. Has it been forever? Well, at the beginning, when I was younger, I didn't know that science was going to be something I wanted to pursue. Mm -hmm. So uh, really, it's been a long journey that has allowed me to go to the place I am. I've met a lot of great teachers that have inspired me and have taught me. Well, I've met a lot of great peers that have encouraged me and have helped me when I was down. So really, there's a lot of people that have pushed me on this journey today. Wow. You know what it sounds like you're describing, something is that support that so many people have on this particular journey when you get ideas, the creativity, the sharing, the advisement and stuff like that. Um, and I think that is in itself the only way someone can can flourish, right? You, you get better with that support and having those sounding boards. 
Yeah, definitely. Like science awesome. is an interdisciplinary activity and sometimes you need like different perspectives on an idea. Like for instance, um, on a project, someone who might not study science can like in humanities can offer insightful advice on how you can improve a project. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your participation in the recent Canada-wide science fair. What project did you bring there to showcase? Yeah, so in the Canada-wide science fair, uh, me and my partner, Ethan, also at my school, we worked on a project that a device that could create both clean water and create clean electricity. So it was sort of a two-in-one system that allowed water to evaporate and made that water into clean water. Oh, this is brilliant. Um, why this project? Yeah, because... Um, I think as a Torontonian, especially, like we have access to clean water, and sometimes mm -hmm. we forget that our communities far away from us without access to clean electricity, with electricity and clean water, yes. and that life can be difficult. So my partner, when he was younger, he went to China, so um, and he was able to see some of the communities that wasn't able to have as much clean water, and that was some something inspirational towards the creation of this project. And that's kind of um, a a typical way of connecting with science, right? Something that is personally meaningful to you or uh, feels like it needs the the help, the leg up, the research, whatever, and then you get into it that way. Like that's what springs the motivation. Yeah, definitely. Like just looking at some of the other projects part in the team, for instance, uh, another student at my school who also was part of Team Canada at Milset, mm -hmm. um, his project was about creating like helping um, creating an app that could detect objects that could be beneficial towards visually impaired individuals. So that was inspired by some family members and people in their community who had trouble seeing. Yeah, wow. yeah of course. This is great. I love that. And, and, and with you guys, it's that wonderful connection that, you know, says, hey, this is what we want to do. Can I ask where you start? Like when you know what you kind of want to do, do you, do you hit the internet? Do you have your own self generally an idea what you need or do you start scribbling out stuff? Like how do, how do you, what's your process? So um, I think sometimes science is that like, like a, like a Newton with the apple example, right? Like the apple yes. falls down from a tree, happens to hit. Um, it's not always like all planned out. Sometimes it can happen randomly and that's, I really beautiful part of science i apologize for some of the background noise um there's okay. some students crossing away in the hallway <laughs> <laughs> uh so tell us about Milset and the expo itself the trip to mexico uh why is something like this valuable to you so i think a major part of it is the ability to meet other people both internally in the country and externally with international with other countries so for instance like for speaking as someone from toronto we don't often have to go out of the city because we have our hospitals here and many major like conveniences stores uh, like leisure activities all happen can happen in toronto and you often don't know about the lifestyles of other parts of Canada. For instance, I'm during this trip, I met someone from a different part of Ontario, Cornwall, I think. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how at a school it was difficult to keep a calculus teacher to teach their school about these math, at least the critical skills. And this is not a problem that you experience in Toronto. And it was interesting to see that like the different lifestyles from across Canada. 
And internationally speaking, for instance, Mexico, the tap water was not safe to drink. So we had to ration our water every day. And that's not something you typically encounter in Canada. And these experiences sort of allow you to learn and appreciate the lifestyle you have every day and how wow. fortunate you are to live in Canada. Yeah. Right. I want to ask. And they're big you, things, really. Yeah, they are. They're significant and, and they're kind of diverse. Like the things that you're pointing out are not all connected to each other. Uh, I wanted to ask you the opposite as well, which is did you realize any of the challenges that you have with your own experiences with STEM science? Um, or I, I'm not sure where else you want to go with that, but your own challenges and how that was offset with learning uh, that other people have. Yeah, so um, I might be understanding the question wrong, but from what I'm understanding, I feel like with STEM expos and these science fairs, sometimes it's humbling to see other people's projects because you take a look at the amazing work that other people are doing and you think, wow, I can improve my project in this way by, mm. for instance, like incorporating more statistical analysis, for instance. And like these expos are also in a way a brainstorming session for future ideas that you can take on. Yeah, yeah. That's right. well, uh, and you don't want to see uh, someone who might get so discouraged with themselves. But I guess when you get to that point, you guys take that in that way and say, I can learn from the others, as you talked about off the top, that kind of connections and, and being able to see what others are doing. I think that's amazing. Was there anything else that you guys, you yourself learned? What else was exciting being there in Mexico? Yeah, so uh, like, of course, there's learning the local culture in Mexico. Um, it was it was a new experience having to go to the store and being able to negotiate prices with um, owners. Uh, so oh, wow. That, uh, <laughs> some and yeah. Anything, so, um, anything else? Also, yeah. Yeah, and also with the um, learning, like learning about different countries as well. Like, um, uh, so there was this part at the expo where individual countries were able to showcase their culture, and there were a lot of South American countries. All the continents were covered, in fact, and it was just nice, like a learning experience, seeing mm. the different cultures present. Yeah, beautiful. I, I think it's easy to kind of uh, think of these expos or these events and opportunities as like strictly academic and very, right. uh, you know, serious by the books kind of experiences but you're painting such a different picture sterling like there's so much personality and um sociability that comes with going to things like this and really getting to know people on a uh, a deeper level what you take away yeah definitely like um when we first went came on the plane ride to uh, mexico like we were we all felt like we were individuals from all across canada we didn't know each other yeah. but after by the end of the week we actually felt like a team. And I, um, uh, at the beginning, you mentioned about like competition. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that team spirit negates the competitive aspects of these competitions. Mm -hmm. And if a project might like not look as complicated as other people's, people help bring you up and teach you rather than bring you down, right? Like after all, we're yes. all a team. And yes. we yeah, build a community sometimes. It's not just about the science. Exactly. And, and that's the objective, or at least one of the biggest objectives and missions of science anyways. It's supposed to be learning and sharing and, and lifelong of that. Um, do you want to tell us about where you are right now, post-expo? Uh, what are you up to? Where are you going from here? Just give us a scoop on uh, your journey. Yeah, of course. So um, the project I presented at the expo was on creating an alternative um, material for roads, an alternative asphalt. So asphalt currently um, 
it's made uh, using bitumen, which is an, a byproduct of oil refining. And especially in Canada, water can get stuck in the road. And during winter, when the water turns into ice, it can cause cracks in the road. So that's damaging to the roads. So at the expo, I proposed an alternative of like sort of doping in um, proteins that allow the water to channel through. Mm-hmm. And there was um, a comment from one of the pers- people like viewing my projects that it might be expensive to use the proteins. And if I can, and he asked whether I considered using genetic genetic engineering to sort of create more of these proteins at a faster rate and a cheaper rate. So um, these are some Mm. things I'm considering as I move forward. Yeah. Fantastic. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. And thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thanks for letting us in on this. This is really great. Oh, nice. Yeah. And for anyone watching, I would definitely encourage you to participate in science as well. It's not just about the science, the competition. You learn a lot about other regions. It gives you a new perspective. Absolutely. And and it, as it becomes more accessible and more inclusive, there's uh, so many more ways to take part in science, as you say, now than there was before. We're really, really excited about that. Sterling, thank you. Have a great day and all the best. Yeah, thank you for having me. We were speaking to a student from Toronto, Sterling Huang, um, who went to Mexico, was one of the Canadian students who went to Mexico for the Millset Expo Sciences International. And it was really incredible to talk to him about his project and his experience. Sterling gave you a lot to think about, folks. If you missed any of that, please go back via the podcast, check it out, or one of our repeats, because, man, really nice, really thoughts and uh, encouraging. Up next on the program, when thinking of starting a savings plan... Where does someone get started? Well, you know who's going to tell us all about that. Financial planner, Ryan Chin. He'll let us know after this. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Just want to add something here, Rum. Kelly McDonald, mm-hmm. Ramya Muthan, host of the program. Thanks for being with us. You were mentioning Holly, the book that we read this past month. We'll get you over the next couple of days, too, to remind people what this next book is going to be when we had Greg David on. Folks, check out the podcast. It was a wonderful chat uh, with a Stephen King fan. What would you classify yourself? Moderate Stephen King fan? I don't mean I'm like a Stephen dislike. King I mean... fan, just not a, um, what does he call his, re- constant reader. Like, I haven't read right. enough Stephen King to put myself up there in the ranking, but I do very much enjoy his work. I've read a lot, but years ago. Uh, I, I'm that yes. person who used yep. to read everything Didn't when I was a Didn't you say you'd have, like, phone calls with a friend who would read out loud? Like, read yep. Stephen yeah, King yeah. out loud? That's awesome. We, we would get into all that kind of stuff and carried on about uh, stuff like that and loved the Stephen King books. So, uh, but I stopped that years ago. And that's mm. what I mean. I enjoy but I haven't been a Stephen King reader uh, of a lot of books until we started doing a couple here on Book Club for, for oh gosh, 20-some-odd years. I, I read most of my stuff as a teenager, and it's just phenomenal. Uh, and I think I like the most in that book when he, in the audiobook, uh, talks to us a little bit at the end, um, goes over the story, goes over the concept and the creative. And it was just really interesting, and we're hearing more of that stuff. So really like that. Check it out, our conversation with Greg via the podcast, and subscribe to the Kelly and Romeo podcast. Now it's time, folks, to shine a light on finance. Let's bring in Ryan Bradley Chin. 
Ryan Chin. I'm a certified financial planner. Listen in as I talk money with Kelly and Ramya, where we will explore the world of finance. From navigating RDSP savings to retirement planning, I'll help you design a roadmap for tomorrow. Always nice to have you on board, Ryan. So many things to talk about. Encouragement, again, we were talking about our last guest, encouraging us about science. You got a lot of stuff to encourage us about for certain taking care of our money, not just so we have a lot, but we have a, we have money down the road too. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Kel, Ramya. I appreciate uh, being here always. Sir, I want to start with when thinking of starting a saving plan, where does someone get started? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And and the reason I wanted to highlight this topic today was, I mean, we've been talking about, you know, RSP savings, tax-free savings accounts. We've been talking about group retirement. We've kind of had a bit of a theme ongoing over the last uh, couple of uh, episodes. And I wanted to sort of bring it back to, you know, saving you know where does someone get started and and really it does boil down to budgeting and uh when we start to think about how can we save well we got to know what what are we working with um it's important to go through a bit of an exercise you know writing down i know uh kelly uh we gotta get, do a little homework here but you gotta write down all the money that's uh, coming watch in. your language yeah <laughs> 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 and all all the money that's going out, you know, get that budget in place. And, and that kind of helps frame things a little bit for you. You know, um, when we look at some our debts, you know, we can think about, you know, how can we tackle those debts? And either we look at the avalanche theory or the snowball theory. And, and really that simply looks at, you know, how do we pay down the largest mm. to smallest or smallest to largest? Uh, but uh, but I mean, getting a budgeting app. We're tracking it um, through through uh, through you know pen and paper or laptop and 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 keyboard whatever. Um, it does make a difference and it does help. Um, there are a lot of different approaches and buzzwords around saving around debt repayment, as you mentioned some of them already, like the avalanche and the snowballing. Is there something that you believe would be a good like? beginner friendly approach to budgeting and i'm thinking of people who are like i haven't tried anything so where should i start there's just so much yeah. out there yeah it's a great question i mean getting that whether whether if you're an app type person downloading an app that really does help or even just simply like for you know 30 days 60 days just try to track what are you spending on mm. are you buying that coffee every morning are you uh, going out for lunch you know more than once a week and and how much was that so you know collecting those those receipts and just kind of taking a look back in the rear view over the last 30 days what did i spend my money on that is a very initial step to budgeting because it helps you put into perspective, well, if I'm earning this amount of money and I'm spending that amount of money, then my name must be Kelly McDonald. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it obviously is. Um, <laughs> so yeah. here's a question then, Ryan. We, yeah. we want to save. Okay, I don't think there's people who are like, no, I don't wanna put any money away. I mean, even if you have like the YOLO life approach, 
I'm, there are things that are bigger than just your daily spending or your uh, weekly by weekly paycheck that you must want to or have to save for at some point. And that yeah. includes just desires. But how do we do that if things are getting more expensive or if our habits, as you said, we tracked, we tracked for a month, we tracked for two months and we're like, oh, my habits are kind of all over the place and it's not in favor of me saving. Yeah. And you know what, when we start to think about, you know, how do we, how do we say when we've got all of these, you know, all of the expenses are going up, uh, things are going up. Well, you got to look for deals. You've got to try to find those discounts where you can, um, you know, um, one, one fairly, I'll say easy one. I mean, it's not easy for everyone, but switching to a generic brand. I mean, um, some of us, uh, you know, like our Heinz ketchup, and some of us uh, will be okay with that uh, compliments brand. Uh, you know, like looking at a generic brand uh, style product does shave a little bit off those uh, regular expenses, uh, and it does help because every little bit does add up. Looking for deals and discounts, that certainly does help. And those you know, emails that you get, you know, how many of us get those emails from uh, a service that we purchase, whether it be, a, you know, Best Buy or Home Depot or, uh, you know, uh, Amazon, you're getting these emails all the time, these alerts saying, hey, uh, sale tomorrow, act now. You know, if you do unsubscribe from those, while it's great to get them the first time and, and do act on a sale uh, because that's something that you need, those ongoing repeated efforts of trying to sell you things could put you in a bit of a trap. Mm. For sure. That's I fair. mean, it's amazing how it does. I mean, it's great to go after your day old things. And I think Ryan, going back to what you said, maybe you say, okay, I don't, I'll take the no, no name catch up, but you do have your few things that you, you're not willing to dicker on. And I think when you make those bargains with yourself, yeah, the no name is fine for this, but not for this. Don't beat yourself up about that either, but always be looking to make that adjustment there. Yeah, absolutely, Cal. I mean, and that's truly the key. I mean, we we don't want we don't need to compromise our lifestyle. We just need to try to save a little bit of money. Okay. Um, Any other rules that we should utilize? Like, I mean, some people will say, "Think about it." You know, it's like when you get mad about something, you just think about sending that email. Oh, yeah, just leave it. Away. Yeah, for a what day. What about purchases? Yeah, yeah what about that's purchases? a great one. The thirty day rule. I mean, 30 the thirty days. day rule is a great one. <laughs> Seven days uh, is good enough, no? Well, this is no, 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 no. Hold on a second. Well, I'm younger, Ryan, than you two. Uh, the twenty minutes is enough, isn't 30. it? Come on, we're we're going for yeah. You got to meet us halfway, Ryan. Like we're talking you're, one you're year. Like, you're in line and you're looking at those shoes and you're thinking to yourself, those would look killer so on me. State of the art 30, blender on Amazon. Days, you're torturing this person. Good yeah, grief, yeah. Ryan. I think the 30-day rule is truly the key. You know what? If you still have that desire for that particular product 30 days following your initial excitement, then by all means, you go for it. But yeah. I think sometimes, you know, taking that little extra time and, and really thinking about it, processing it, and understanding, hey, can I live without this for a little longer? Because, I, you know, my savings are a little more important today. Mm. Mm -hmm. I also of... like... So, so go ahead, Ron. Oh, I was just going to say, there's a lot of the uh, patience, like the two things that I'm hearing a lot of is, uh, you know, patience and different approaches 
to that and then also hard work because now you're talking about um, <laughs> now you're talking about changing things right like changing habits that we're used to lifestyles that we're used to uh, putting away money first and things like that how about saving with food and groceries and all these other because it's lifestyle is everything not just uh, impulse buy yeah, absolutely. And and some of the impulse buying, I mean, it typically adds up. You know, when we're starting to think about saving on food, you know, stocking your fridge, that really makes a difference. And and really think about how much do you need to, you know, eat out in terms of those you know, coffee and cookie every morning at, at, at your local uh, coffee shop or, or, you know, st grabbing a bag lunch uh, on the way out or whatever, you know, it's okay to treat yourself by all means. But if you, you know, do some meal planning, do a little bit of meal prep ahead of time, you have your meals that you can grab and go make your coffee in the morning, put it in the carryout mug. It's amazing. The, the, the nickels, the dimes, the quarters, and these days, the $5, I mean, I don't know, some of these boutique uh, coffee shops are pretty darn expensive. Um, you know, the, the money that you will save uh, just by taking your own stuff to work or taking your stuff on the go. I mean, it, it does make a big difference. Yeah. Or buying the Starbucks coffee. That's the price of a whole meal. I mean, I, I oh. you know, there are, there are some of those other things like your shopping list. I always try to not, if I was going to go shopping, you know, don't go hungry. That was what my family always used to say. Don't go hungry. Cause we're buying all sorts of stupid stuff. Yeah, and those impulse grabs, you know, like you look there and you go, oh, well, you know, that bag of chips is on sale for, you know, 49 cents. Maybe I'll throw that in the cart. You know, these little impulse buys um, really, really add up. And you know what? If you have trouble with those impulse buys and you find that that's the majority, you know, look at using, you know, a delivery service where you can go online or, or, or one of those pickup services where you can go online, you pick your products, you have your, 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 your prescribed list um, already set. Try to eat a little bit out of that freezer, of course, but you get that list going, you make that order and then you can go pick up. Then you totally avoid the big uh, flashy displays and the impulse buys. Mm -hmm. Uh, what about those regular bills that keep coming every month? What, what's our yeah. guidance there? Yeah, those pesky bills. You know, a slight tweak to to our regular day-to-day. Uh, -day. I mean, you know, we know winter's coming and, and it's, you know, it's going to get cool out there. We'll all be turning our, our furnaces on. Um, uh, and, you know, maybe, you know, turning it down a notch. Uh, really, you know, it, you don't need to have it at, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, Hawaii weather. You know, you can wear a sweater or something like that where you can just keep the keep the, uh, the gas, uh, you know, down to a roar, a dull roar. Um, you know, cutting cable. You know, <gasps> if you find that you're not watching uh -oh. TV. Yeah. Uh, or, or you know, uh, don't cut cable. Keep, 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 keep uh, your keep AMI on uh, subscription on. Uh, cut your, uh, cut your subscriptions. <laughs> Tell Ramya to wait is like telling you and I to cut cable, right, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, always. What are course, we even your, saying anymore? Mm -hmm. Yeah, keep your subscription AMI. We want to make sure that you know uh, we're watching uh, the Kelly and Ramya. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys uh, want to keep getting paid. Let's be honest. Yeah. 
yeah, man. Come on. Let's be honest. I'm closer to How retirement you than you guys. You're out of here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, appreciate it. Thank you kindly, man. Yeah. Thank you both. Thank are you. Are we are we sending him off because he said cut cable? I think so. Well, well <laughs> I, the call I just got I'm from David Arrington says here. so. Uh, David Arrington's call to me just said so. <laughs> <laughs> see you later, you pal. Both. We'll see you next month. Okay. Uh, check out Ryan Chin and Becky Armstrong on Eyes on Your Money, the AMI original, AMI audio original podcast, that is. Um, and, of course, you can reach Ryan directly. If you've got questions for him, drop an email, uh, ryan.chin at uh, sunlife.com. That's the way to do it. Okay. We step aside, and when we return, Derek Wood with Robert Half discusses their latest research uh, surrounding etiquette in the office. We'll get into all that after this. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. You know, that you learn those things from you that um, really make up our office politics, our office etiquette, all those different things to say, not to say, to do. And I remember when I started to work, I, I had to remember, okay, what do I know? What don't I know? What have I heard? What's factual? Who can I trust to tell me? That's walking a fine line there, Kelly. Mm. No, don't do that. Don't say it. Because being in the disabled world, a lot of time, many of us get our first office gig, our first work gig later and mm -hmm. the expectation is well you know how to behave around an office no Not i just really. came out of college you just did what yep well you're 40 years old or whatever it might be <laughs> well this is my first experience i'm sorry forgive me and and it's so important and you so hope you're lucky enough to kind of have a manager or a, that, that person at the other desk that says hey bud yeah, yeah. don't do that oh okay but just to have more open conversations about these things to begin with. Oh, for sure. And by the way, they call them mature student now, okay? You can't judge us for being in school at 40. Come on. Uh, but yeah, you're right. As the work world continues to rapidly change, um, many of us are reporting now that we could use some training, some conversations, some upgrading of office etiquette. And this is so that we can avoid some mistakes. And we want to talk more about all of this. It's a very uh, broad conversation with Derek Wood. And he's here from Robert Half. He's going to share some of that research that Robert Half has been conducting around office etiquette, repairing etiquette blunders, and fitting in in an office culture and environment. Derek, nice to have you on the show. Good to be here. So which generations are most concerned about this or feel like they need the most training around office etiquette? Is this even a fair question to ask? Yeah, I mean, according to the study, um, w the generation is Gen Z that is sort of most interested in getting some training on office etiquette because that's the generation that has uh, maybe been in the office the least amount of time. Right. And with the pandemic over the last few years, I haven't been in the workplace uh, working a lot from home. So, uh, yeah, we found that it's at 88% of Gen Z would be very open to getting some training on office etiquette. But, uh, you know, 68% would say they would take training across the board, but uh, right. that's led by Gen Z. Yeah. It's interesting because we had a conversation, I think, with Michael um, about how people feel uh, in that same 
uh, generation, really, of people who say, I want to be in the office more time because I need to learn from you over there. And you over there, um, these are what I'm missing working from home and how that isn't as interesting uh, to me. And that's what we, we kind of heard. So do you yourself think the need for office etiquette is shifting or will shift very soon? And if so, why? I mean, I think what we've been seeing for sure is that more people are coming in the office. Um, yes. And so I think it is definitely going to force the topic on people uh, if they don't come to their own conclusion. Because, yeah, when you're having a bunch of people working together in one room, uh, it can have implications for, you know, productivity and morale and, and culture of the team and things like that. So I think people need to sort of understand the etiquette in their own office, which can vary um, based on, on organizations. But the things that people are struggling with are, you know, what is business casual? Um, and I think the biggest frustration, according to the study, is one, people talking too loud and uh, gossiping. Well, we're gone. Gossip. We talk way too loud, man, that's for sure. But Derek, but what, what do you feel? So if those are kind of the gossip, the talking too loud, are we feeling that it's the people around us that are the, that get bothered? Is it the management that, that says these are the things that are really bothersome? And anything else that was point to regarding the office etiquette, you know, the person that doesn't have the indoor voice, host Kelly and Rumya? I mean, so how to, to, I think what the important part is clearly communicating with your, in your office, with, through, whether that's through managers, uh, through employee handbooks, if you know, for a larger organization for reference, but setting clear expectations of what is expected. And for those that are maybe stepping on some toes or, or, or crossing some lines there, I think that's just, you know, about having private conversations with those people um, to, to talk to about their behaviors and the implications that it's having. Cause I think sometimes it's people, it's innocent enough that yeah. Yeah, they don't know. They don't, yeah. they don't and, realize. You know, and it's hard to talk to them. I would imagine too, Sometimes because people get in that, well, I don't want to overstep the boundary. And, you know, whether you're in HR or just a coworker, am I going to then find out, well, you insulted your coworker by telling them they're too darn loud. And and I think we get scared. I I don't disagree with that. I, I think it, it's it's it is a delicate topic, mm. but I think it's important to have those conversations and that sure. there's a, there's a safe way for people to identify things that are problematic in the workplace. And then the, like I said, the, the conversations with that individual could be, you know, a one-on-one -on -one conversation to, uh, to help them through it and, and outline those things. And hopefully just highlighting it sometimes can change the behavior and then therefore have a different impact uh, in the office. And if they don't, I mean, I think those are the ones you get in the situations where you want to have HR involved and be documenting uh, those behaviors that are problematic so that, um, you know, you can manage that person's performance or behavior in the office. Right, right. And it's interesting, too, because a lot of these things, um, feelings that people have or notes that you've been able to gather from the research might be stuff that we're all thinking of, but no one's communicating, right? Because it's just not normal or wasn't normal for a really long time to do that, especially uh, office or corporate, that kind of thing. But I'm curious about what's coming up especially around meetings. Uh, meetings and the landscape of meetings have changed so drastically because of virtual, because of hybrid, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, I think the companies, the ones that go in office more, because some companies are going in five days a week now, others are, you know, it's hybrid. Um, but even with virtual meetings, I think 
people have to be careful that they're not getting too lax on oh it's only a virtual meeting uh that's i mean that's another pet peeve that we from this study is you know people showing up late for virtual meetings or in person um not being prepared for meetings um you know talking over people or being a dominant voice throughout a meeting so i think companies need to figure out where they are with hybrid versus in office and then establish clear guidelines of expectation for staff as to what is acceptable so that they're you know people aren't being other people aren't being frustrated by the behaviors of people that maybe don't know better or uh, right. or should know better in some cases but i think it's a lot of this comes down to clear communication from an employer as to what's expected and that that means the managers meet maybe need to have some hard conversations with folks um to, to make sure that people are on the same page okay so derek what did we find out about business casual office attire and 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 that mm -hmm. kind of thing of what people feel about that when it comes to the etiquette these days yeah it's i mean it's it's an interesting topic and it's 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 another one that can be a sensitive topic for sure um i think it's important for people to you know to bring your personality uh to work i think that's important it's just with um you know, with consideration for the environment you're in. And I think business casual, the reality is it means different things for different companies. For some folks, uh, you know, if it's a tech startup, for example, jeans might be completely appropriate um, as business casual. In a more um, corporate or formal environment, that that may be a little too casual. So I think it's about understanding, um, taking in, you know, what, what are your peers doing is a good benchmark as to uh you know if you're if you don't know it all talk to your manager about maybe what would be acceptable but i, I think the study showed that people agree 68 percent to the tune that things have gotten more casual over the last few years so there has been a natural move to more casual but i think you still have to calibrate with the environment you're in to make sure um you know it's 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 appropriate you know, there's some things that, you know, if it's a big branded T-shirt with, you know, something maybe offensive or whatever, I mean, mm. that's going to be problematic in pretty much any environment. Um, you know, so there's some things you just you, you want to stay away from. Uh, it's different than when you're at home, right? You got the pajama bottoms on and maybe a nice shirt. <laughs> um, that's not going to fly in, a, in any casual business, casual environments I'm familiar with. But <laughs> um if we're now becoming aware <laughs> through this conversation about maybe some of these blunders, some of these uh, challenges that we might have for office etiquette, or you know you feel like you're put in a position uh, as management or as uh, for leadership that you need to bring up some of these things that are going on, how do we go back from that place? Like, how do we improve from where we are now or overcome some of the errors and blunders that have taken part in the past just because of awareness? Because that's another thing, right? This insecurity that, oh, no, now I'm the office blank, whatever it may be. Mm. So how, how do we sort of overcome the challenge mm. of people kind of navigating through that? Again, I'm a, I'm a big promoter of of clear communication. And I, and I think you can't go wrong in, in a company where, you know, you're communicating to folks if they are, you know, they're stepping over the, the boundaries. And I think to, to protect the culture of your office, um, you have to be, have the courage to, as a leader, as a manager to, 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 to call people out. And again, in private, um, th that's an appropriate form that you would do on, on a one-on-one -on -one meeting. But I think you, you have to make those choices in order to, um, 
have the culture that you want so that everyone is comfortable. Um, and the clearer you set those expectations with people and then hold people accountable for it, I think the better you, you're able to, to execute on what that office etiquette uh, and vision looks like. But I think it is going to be tricky. Yeah, with more people yeah. going in the office and, and, and more people that haven't been in an office for quite some time, um, it's, it's looking at your environment. Be observant. Talk to your managers if you have questions. And for managers to just be really clear, if, if people are not, you know, wearing or saying or attending meetings the way they should or talking too loud or gossiping all the time, um, you have to protect your office culture. And, and that requires calling people out on those things in, in the appropriate professional manner. That's why, that's why I work from home. I gossip too much so they don't want me in there. Um, <laughs> the easiest way to solve the problem, right? Uh, but of course, that's my plan. Uh, Derek, uh, what I'm kind of wondering is something that we, we try very hard to be inclusive. We try to respect especially any accessible um, needs that a person has. Some things such as the, the scent one is the one that really has me puzzled in a lot of ways. Um, we may say, guys, we're a scent-free environment. Watch your deodorants, watch your cologne, body washers, whatever it might be very distinct mm -hmm. and may aggravate or bother someone else. And then someone receives flowers or something like that. Um, and mm -hmm. of course, you don't want to be that, hey, uh, have we come to a, a time where are people better than navigating? Did you have any conversations through this that brought those kinds of things up? Does I go, we go back to it depends on a company's decision and their stance on on certain things. Um, are they going to be hard-nosed? Guys, we said no sense, you know, sorry, uh, but you'll have to get those flowers, uh, run them home on lunchtime or something like that. How are we navigating mm -hmm. those kinds of things? I mean, this is sort of a general comment, but I, I do think that we, we being sort of just office culture, I think um, are, are more tolerant and, and I think people are more open to sensitivities, which is a good thing. Um, you know, I, I think we've seen that with clients um, in our business and, and in offices where if people do have sensitivities to, to sense, um, you know, there's communication to the people that are going to be uh, in that office to say, hey, here's something that, you know, without calling anyone out, but that this is this is something that, you know, we have people with sensitivities. So you need to be uh, cognizant of that. And then usually what happens if you have good open communication, is someone where's a scent that's problematic, um, you know, that that's bubbled up in the appropriate forums. And then someone has a, a conversation to say, hey, just a reminder that there's some sensitivities here. I think that's all you can really do is you try to promote an office culture that is accepting of, of different viewpoints and, and uh, different sensitivities. And then you, you try to get everyone to, to sort of work towards that end goal uh, in working in unison and harmony and, and you know, be productive together. So I think it's, a, again, I, I would come back to a couple key points, which is communicate clearly what you want to have happen. You know, promote a culture of kindness and inclusiveness and um, openness so that when there are challenges that people feel comfortable bringing those forward and that um, you can address them and uh, and kind of go from there but i do to your original question do i you know where do i think we're going i think it's i think the, the workplace has improved in my personal opinion fr from right. that viewpoint of of allowing for different views and sensitivities you know and and trying to create that and accept that from all
Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's definitely different, uh, not different, but progressive now because we're having more transparent conversations about everything, right? Like transparency itself mm -hmm. has become such a broader theme uh, of, around whether it be disability, which Kelly and I have lived experiences with, and or, you know, these changes in environment, changes in workforce because of the pandemic and everything else that came mm -hmm. into play because of that. But your, you know, constant um, theme of of uh, clear and direct communication is is definitely a work in progress. Derek, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Always fun talking to you guys from Robert Half. It's a learning uh, experience every time you come on. Robert, or sorry, Derek Wood with Robert Half, and we were talking about their latest uh, research around office etiquette and how to come back from some of these office blunders or social blunders that we may experience. And Robert Half check-ins happen at least once a month here on Kelly and Ramia. Yeah, so much to take in there, especially those of us like we talked about up the top that may not have ever had that experience of being in there. We will step aside and when we return in two minutes, folks, we wrap up the show. We'll take a look and see what the gang over at Now with Dave Brown's uh, doing tomorrow. Ramia's got that info for us and our closing moment and preview our show. Stand by. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Thanks to everybody, by the way, who sent pictures in for us to share on Halloween. That was, Ramya, I have to say, one of the best parts of our Halloween show and moving to television. I mean, we had to figure it out after 10 months. There had to be some good reason to move yeah. over to TV, right? <laughs> well, we can show everyone smiling faces, and we get that opportunity to incorporate description into the show. And I think we did okay. Um, of course, the judge is you out there. People have been having a lot of fun with us and indulging us through some of these uh, special shows and festivities, and we really, really love it. Thank you. Yeah, go back and check out the podcast. Uh, subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. While you're at it, dig into the gang over there at Now at Dave Brown, their show on the AMI-TV. Weekdays at 9 a.m. in the morning, you can catch it. Or, as I just mentioned, subscribe to their podcast. I'm sure, like us, they would love a rating and review as well. Rum, what do they have on tap tomorrow? All right, tomorrow, the Thursday edition, we have... Uh a speculation coming up about Apple revamping its AirPods and AirPods Max, and that's starting next year. Marco Flalo from, from uh, Mark Aflalo from Access Tech Live is going to have his details and predictions on what's going on. Also, Don Dickinson is giving us the preview from uh, Voices of the Walrus, where uh, there's this discussion about what some are calling the end of retirement because a growing number of people can't afford to retire anymore. Wow, mm -hmm. what a phenomenon. And also, in September, the Kane Mutiny Court Martial was released as a movie, and this was starring Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, the entertainment critic Michael McNeely, as he usually does on Fridays, will give us his review of the movie, and he's going to give us a comparison between that and the original Kane Mutiny that starred Humphrey Bogart. Hey, their show 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-TV. Check it out and look for the repeats later on in the day on AMI-TV in case you can't be there in the morning. Now, I'm going to go back to something Ryan said about being careful. We talked 31 days before making that purchase. Think it over, he was saying. Marco Flalo joins us Monday, doesn't he, on the program to tell us a little bit about items, too, as we yes. get towards the shopping season now that Halloween's gone. 
A techie and your costumes list. are put away. Mm -hmm. Techie shopping list for the next little while. As we know, all those specials and sales will be out. So, okay, we'll talk to him Monday, get an idea of that. However, folks, Ramya excluded from this conversation because basically she is going to just eat whatever candy she can. I have closing no moment more today. candy of eating Let's it See what I mean? Proving <laughs> my point. What to do with leftover Halloween candy? Well, stir them into your ice cream and let it soften. That is the ice cream until oh. it's uh, softened enough to stir that candy in there. Chop, chop up the chocolate bars, peanut butter candy, Twix bars. Oh, sounds great. Fold it right into the ice cream. Mm. If you're lazy, of course, rum, you can just toss it on top, right? Swirl some ice Eat cream and some cream on top. Call it a Sunday. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just sit there with it beside you. Uh, just blend it right in with the ice cream. Just put your candy bars inside your softened ice cream in a blender. Pulse until the ca candy is incorporated. Try it with uh, Butterfingers, mm. Reese's Pieces, M&M's, uh, Heath Bars, uh, Frozen Snickers, and you can throw some milk in if you kind of want to convert it, if you make it so soft, into a milkshake. Yep. Uh, add it to your... Oh, sorry, you want to comment on that? Because oh, that's a delicious that? milkshake. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I like it kind of more like the blizzard, mm. right? Because that's what the, oh, the middle there, it's like a blizzard. I want a blizzard. How about this okay. one? And this is the easy one, okay? But I hate to admit... This really makes a difference. Add it to your trail mix, right? Oh, yeah. Because the best one has chocolate candy in it or peanut M&Ms or both, of course, because I'm greedy. Combine nuts such as cashews or peanuts, dried fruit, uh, raisins, cranberries, that kind of thing. Get that in there, too. And while we're at it, since we are still hanging on to Halloween, maybe some sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds. I like that. And you like that one because, and that's we can pretend it's more healthy even with. The I mean, I'm not going to go around and make trail mix myself. Like, get out of here. But I will, in the spirit of trail mix, have candy. Go to um, the bulk store, get a bunch of these nuts, just oh, put yeah. them in, and mix all that candy in there, right? Or existing uh, any candy. Oh, for sure. Any candy left over from trick or treating, we guarantee you will want handful after handful of it. One other thought. Bake it into cookies, rum. Yep. Okay? If you're doing those chocolate chip cookies, reach over there for your leftover chocolate candies instead of the chips. Ah, your cookies will be even more exciting. Now, you can even do things with the Heath bars, for example, chopped Snickers, um, crushed peanut butter candy also works well here. So, out of all that, more with the ice cream, what is the more likely you will do? Mix it into the trail mix uh, or actually settle back on a Saturday, bake some cookies. Again, that would be if you had leftover. Yes, I, I don't. I know, so I'm... now I have to go buy all the candy, but I do want to bake those cookies. On I, sale. My brother and I have been uh, doing a lot of cookie exchanges with just, you know, everything but the kitchen sink kind of cookies. Just like toss whatever in and see who ends up with the best cookies. And uh, it's that time of year now. Like I'm cold. I want freshly baked hot cookies with soft chocolate in them. So since your brother probably knows you're a huge fan of raisins, not, yep. would you make them with raisins and give that to him to get in exchange no. for whatever he had? You wouldn't no, because I would whole... still have to eat those cookies and try them. No, give him a whole dozen. Just make a dozen, give them, and then let Stop him give you it. back something that doesn't have the raisins. It's nice. We've been using marshmallows lately, and the marshmallows at the top will oh. crisp up into this kind of candy-coated caramel are stuff. Greatest. Oh, my know, goodness. You want to talk about it. Oh, good heavens. All right. <laughs> Let's take a look at what we've got ahead tomorrow on the program because I'm like, oh. I know. Oh, yeah, we got a show to wrap here. up, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. we'll stick with food, though. How do you take your meals from bland to bold? Mary Mamaliti, she'll give us some tips tomorrow on the program.
One of the more serious conversations we'll have is with Laura Bain to discuss uh, blind and partially sighted people and the education that youth are getting in Nova Scotia. Some recent changes as well. Fedora's off to you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a wonderful night. Take care. Eat some candy for us. Well, you know you want to. We're waving at you. Take care. Hi, everyone. It is Beth Day here with the Kelly and Ramia show. Today, I wanted to talk to you about just this time of year. Um, I have been sick since we returned back from our wedding in August. We got married in Mexico. And I, yeah, I have been sick on and off since then. And if you can't tell, I am sick again. Um, so I kind of just wanted to give you all a reminder to just be kind to yourselves. Everyone is getting sick this time of year. It absolutely sucks. Um, there's obviously things you can do to kind of help, like, try and take vitamin D if you can, like, super important. I know, like, people think that the only thing it solves is depression, but no, it's actually, like, a really important vitamin. Um same with vitamin c like everyone knows that like that's also really important so drink your orange juice juice (laughs) juice eat your oranges and yeah just like try and consume as much vitamin c as possible right now because i don't want anyone to get sick like me because it just sucks especially if you have kids looking after a child where you are sick has to be like hands down one of the worst things ever um but yeah I mainly just wanted to give everyone the reminder that I have needed to hear recently just take care of yourself without your health you have nothing I understand it's just a cold and I've been a bit of a drama queen but in all seriousness like you can you know take that day off of work to recuperate you can go to bed earlier to give your body the rest that it needs and you know like just give yourself a break you'll heal you'll feel better and then you can return back to like your normal for the most part chaotic for most people life um just get so chaotic um but every once in a while you just need to slow down and I think when we get sick like that really is our body's just telling us that hey like I need a break you need to chill out um which I think my body has done uh recently just how many times I've been sick like I just think that I was just having a really stressful time leading up to our wedding and I think that now it's kind of all caught up with me and yeah it's just caught me out and being sick sucks and I really hope that everyone else is healthy and yeah doing everything you can to stay healthy drink lots of water as I said get your vitamins eat lots of fruits and vegetables and have a balanced diet like I think a lot of people underestimate like how much um you know doing the little things like that can really help um just with your like overall general health And don't get me wrong, like, I am not, like, a health guru by any (laughs) stretch of the imagination. But I do want to give any advice that I have, and that is it. So stay healthy, and I hope everyone had a fantastic Halloween. And, yeah, 
Stay healthy, folks. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.